it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Well, I thought it was a remarkable football game on Saturday. Research Stadium is Oregon State won 38-34, beating Oregon. Uh, terrific comeback, a lot of resilience. Uh, Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator at Oregon State, is joining us. He has been uh, rewarded with a contract extension. Here he is. What was it like to coach in that game? Uh, it was uh, all sorts of emotions. Uh, frustration to uh, joy <laughs> to just uh, – it, it was fun. It was fun to see those guys keep fighting when things didn't look good and, and, and end up making the plays we needed to to win at the end. Help us out here because I know, you know, your guy likes to coach from the field. Some coordinators are in the box. But what did you see happening, first of all, from your defensive standpoint, as the game sort of turned? What was it that you felt you guys were doing well or maybe Oregon wasn't, wasn't capitalizing on? Uh, well, we made a we made a couple uh, schematic adjustments to how they were attacking us, and then it, it really was we talked about it, you know, on the sideline of hey, if, if right now we just we're doing too many things that self inflicted wounds, and if we just do our work and we're on our work, then then we're this game's going to end the way we want it to, and and the guys did an unbelievable job buying in and then going out and getting it done. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, you talk about schematic changes. I noticed, you know, Oregon had gone like five wide at one point. They were spreading you guys out. Uh, was that something you had seen them do earlier in the year, or was that something a little new? That They did a lot against Utah. Um, and then, you know, they that's kind of – that was kind of what they were trying. They were trying to find something on offense, and they had a little bit of success with it, so they stuck with it for, for a little bit there, yeah. You guys had a couple of late passes that – you know, you got you just tipped away. Or it looked like, mm-hmm. oh, if if you don't get a finger on it, what does it mean when you got some experienced guys in the secondary who have been there and played a lot of reps? Yeah, it, it's huge because those. I mean, you look at third down and those fourth downs. I mean, it, it, guys' experience and and ability to make our guys to make those plays in those crucial moments was the game, um, and and we kind of talked about. You know, those third, fourth down situations, you know, that they were the difference in the Washington game not going our way. So it was a big point of emphasis for us that we got to get off the field on third down, and, and that's going to be the deciding factor in this game. It had to be really fun. I noticed your fans, I mean, they were jumping over the railing at the end of the game. The players, there was a lot of emotion. As a coach on the field, when you see a team fight through some adversity, may, maybe some bad calls, definitely some bad calls, some adversity, <laughs> Uh, an opponent that is, you know, a credible opponent. What does that feel like as a coach? It's 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 fun to see. It's it's fun to watch. Uh, you know, the the players and the, really just the joy that they have, and then all the hard work that they put in the season. Um, then that week, and then to go out there and and have that game kind of end the way it did for us was was fun to watch them. Trent Bray with us, Oregon State's defensive coordinator. Uh, you, you know, you 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 play at oregon state you 
come up as a position coach. You're promoted to coordinator. Now you're extended uh, with the, with the additional years on the contract. Um, you know, this coaching staff has got continuity. How much, how much of an advantage does that give you guys when you've got Jim Mahalchek and Jonathan and you and Brian Lindgren and you look around and it's, there's just a lot of continuity that you don't see anymore on some of the staffs within the conference. Yeah, I, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for our players. Um, I think it's you just see it so much. It's hard every year there's a new position coach or a new coordinator or a new this or that. Uh, I think it's hard for those guys. Um, so I think we view ourselves as a developmental program. We're going to get guys in here and develop them, and I think that's what we saw on the field. Like a lot of guys that have been here for a long time that have played a lot of football for us and have gotten better and better every year and, and kind of all put it together this year. Give us an idea as you sort of forecast into next season. I know there's a bowl game, but I'm always looking at your guys and I'm going, okay, where are the needs? Um, you know, you're out recruiting. You know what you have coming in. Uh, what position groups in particular will it be important to get new talent and guys that go to work, you know, neck, into next spring and next fall? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously we're, we're going to lose some, some defensive backs that, that have been really good players for us, um, but we, we like – we really like our young guys that are here, and then we're going to go out and look to uh, to kind of fill fill some holes with, with some guy some older guys. But uh, but really encouraged by you know the last couple classes and the freshmen and sophomores that we already got on our team. So feel good about the pl- the players that we have kind of moving up in the ranks after this year. Jack Coletto and Jaden Grant. I want to talk about those two guys because you see them a lot on defense. What does Coletto mean first of all in the middle of that defense for you? Uh, his ability to, to do so many things, um, you know, he's one of our better special teams player. He's a, he's a really good linebacker for us, and then he's, you know, he's very productive on the offensive end. So it just, uh, yeah, I've, I've never been around a guy like that, that that not only can handle it mentally but can do it physically. So it's impressive to, to see him do the stuff he does. I was a little worried we weren't going to see Jaden Grant after, you know, his his troubles <laughs> – and the injury, yeah. but he got there on the field. What what has he meant for your defense? He, he's been uh, huge for us. Uh, his leadership, um, his his ability to just communicate and and really run the show back there, you know, puts a lot of guys at ease. That you know, especially early in the year, as as Ryan Cooper was, you know, playing in his first couple games, um, the ability to communicate and be on the same page, you know, with with our nickel position was was huge and. And so, and then he's just a really good football player. I mean, he made some plays on Saturday that that were big time for us winning that game. You know, the fourth down stop down here on the twenty. I mean, that was just him being a smart football player and, and making that play. It was it was impressive. Were you surprised they went fourth down inside their thirty in that situation? Or, well, as a D coordinator, when you see them going for it, what are you thinking? Uh. <clears throat> I'm not. I wasn't really surprised. I think a lot of offenses, fourth and one, is kind of a go um, for a lot of teams now. Um, and then I, I can't remember where exactly if that was after a punt had been blocked, or I think they were having some trouble on the yeah. punt team, so it might have yeah. been safer for them to do that. So I, I wasn't totally surprised by that. I was surprised Nick's kept the ball given his lack of mobility, and I thought when Jaden made the tackle, I said, "That's a guy who's been in college for a hundred years. Like you're not fooling that guy." <laughs> in that situation uh, as I watched that unfold. Um, can I ask you to put your your uh, your offensive cap on for a second? Because you guys on the offensive side of the ball, 
everybody in the stadium knew you were running the ball on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have 15 runs in the fourth quarter, no passes. You, you beat them 21 to three. What was happening mm-hmm. offensively as you were watching the offense on the field during the fourth quarter? I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I liked it. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just saw our offensive line um, moving those guys and creating seams. And our, our, you know, we got really good running backs, and, and they did a great job of running, running hard. All, you know, all those guys run extremely hard. Um, so I, I thought it was just the, really the, the strength of our team, the offensive line and running back positions, you know, showing up in those big moments. So I, it was fun to watch them, them work like that. It turned into rugby at the end. I just thought, I thought, you know, yeah. and I looked at your guys, and it just had this feel that your guys had had enough, and you weren't losing that game. When, when you were getting mm-hmm. down in on that last score, I thought, there's no way they're not scoring here. It'll just be a matter of can Trent Bray's defense stop Oregon on the ensuing drive, and mm-hmm. your defense had to come up big. Situ- tell us, take yeah. us through sort of the, you know, that sequence at the end where Oregon is threatening to to steal the game back. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, they converted on a third and long, you know, early in the drive, which, um, you know, they, they did a nice job throwing catch. And then, uh, you know, they got they got down there, a couple penalties got them down there. And then, yeah, it was first and five on the five. And and I thought our guys just, I mean, yeah, what can you say? They they, they knew the what the moment was about, and they went out and they weren't going to be denied. And then they made just four great plays in a row. I mean, it, it was just impressive to, to watch and then watch on film the next day. You know, it was it was great. Trent, uh, it's it's been fun to watch Jonathan grow as a head coach. You've seen this. You've been there. What makes Jonathan Smith good? Uh, I I think there's a lot of things. Um, I think number one, just uh, you know, he's he's very consistent um, in his communication um, and how he operates. Um, he's a great communicator and connector with with our players. I think they believe in him, and he believes in them. I mean, I think whenever you have that with a group of young people that 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 believe in each other and believe in the guy in the leadership role, uh, great things can happen. I think that's probably his greatest quality is his leadership, you know, of of young people. I saw Dennis Erickson on the sideline. What what does it mean to you when you see you look up and you see a guy like that who's been such an important part of what has been built? He and Mike Riley really. Uh, you see him there. He told me before the game, he said, just you watch. He said, it, it's it's his time. And he was talking about Jonathan. And mm-hmm. Dennis Erickson ended up being right. Like, you know, he, he, what, what's that mean to you to see Erickson there? It was great. It was great. And uh, Coach Erickson's been back a couple times, and it's just been fun to see him. Um, obviously, he's got a lot of history with this place and then with us. I mean, Coach Mahalchek played for him and coached with him. I did as well. And, and Coach, Coach Smith played for him. So it was just great to see him and him being around is is just fun that you know where we're kind of moving the program and kind of back to you know kind of what he had got started way back in the 2000s and got this place back on the map getting it back to that point is has been fun to do all right so we've watched coaching change with transfer portal nil all this stuff that's in and we're watching the the recruiting guy now become the head coach in a lot of places um, your place is different. Like Jonathan's, a, he's a teacher. He's a coach. He's got. Mm-hmm. guy's been there. Um, what do you make of the landscape of college football and kind of the direction that it's going? And and how do you uh, how do you adapt as a coach even? Because you know part of your job obviously is recruiting and teaching, but now you have a whole bunch of other things that are involved in getting players to campus and keeping them there. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing with the, the keeping the guys here is, you know, you hope that as their experience here and the way they're treated and uh, and the, the way they feel about coming to work every day is, is the reason that they want to continue to be here. Because you, you're absolutely right, our guys are getting recruited off teams by other teams. There's no question about it. Um, so, yeah, that makes it tough. Um, but you, you just got that, – that's the landscape, and, and you got to be aggressive when you're going to get guys out there and in, in recruiting and in the portal as well and, and, you know, and just keep developing the guys that are on your team. And, yeah, I, I think that's kind of how you, you're going to have to adapt because there's, there's not much else you can do but, but keep, keep your head down, keep working, and, and you feel good about the guys you do take because I think that's a big part of it. You don't, gotta, you don't have to, you know, always be right. Um, but you got to make sure that the guys that you bring into your place are the right type of guy and the right type of minded guy, and we can be successful here. Pat Casey told me once, I, I said to him, you know, he was playing North Carolina in Omaha for the College World Series, and I said, you know, they have better talent. And he said, I don't need all the good players. I just need some of them. And it, it kind of echoes mm -hmm. what you're saying. Like you want the right players and you need enough yeah. talent, of course, but – you don't necessarily want uh, guys that don't fit your culture or fit your team. Um, yeah. I want to ask your opinion on this because, you know, you've seen Caleb Williams, you've seen Michael Penix Jr. and, you know, all the players in, in this conference. Which guy is the most difficult to game plan for or which player in this conference? And it might not be one of them. Like if, if I'm asking you, Trent Bray, uh, you know, give me, give me who you think the best offensive player in the conference is. Who comes to mind? Oh, I think Caleb and uh, Penix at Washington are the two that pop out right away. Um, you know, obviously both those teams. And then the, the, the thing that's unique about this conference, especially at the skill position, there's just so much talent. And then this year the quarterback play in this conference was the best it's been in a long, long time. Um, so it, it, every week was extremely, you know, was difficult to, to game plan for because there were so many threats and so many weapons and, and that's why I think our coaching staff did a great job of, of getting our guys ready to play. And then the players, you know, really bought in and locked in the, every week what we were trying to get done, what we had to stop. And they, and they did an excellent job doing that. Did you guys do a better job against Caleb Williams or Penix in your mind when you look back at those two games? We, I would say Caleb Williams. Um, I thought we were more disruptive to him probably than, than Penix. Um, if when I look back on it, and but uh, yeah, I'd probably say that. Yeah, you guys give. I mean, you gave them fits, and and I had yeah. you know they looked. I left that game going. I think USC is going to lose multiple games, and then as the season wore on, I went. You know, I think Oregon State might just be really good on defense. When did you figure out you guys were good on defense? You know, I I knew you know when we left spring ball. Um, I, I felt really good about this group, um, and. In a lot of it, not not just their talent ability, but the, the way they just bought into what we wanted to get done. And when you got that kind of extreme buy-in um, from your players and, and from the coaches and from everyone in this program, uh, you just had a feeling like, okay, this is going to be the year we're going to step it up on defense and, and be a reason that we win ball games. And um, so, yeah, I, I felt extremely confident for a long time with this group. All right. Uh, Coach, before I cut you loose, uh... You know, we know we see you guys celebrate a win, and then I know pretty quickly it becomes about recruiting and then a bowl game. And you know, have you had a chance to really absorb the season, a nine and th a nine win season? And you know, given where you guys were just three or four or five years ago, 
you know, we had a kid call in yesterday on the show who has been a student at Oregon State for five years. And he was beside himself going, I can't believe I'm leaving school and my team won nine games because you guys were a two-win team when he, when he was a freshman. And you, yeah. you've done that for a student body. You've made, you know, you've made it, you've, you've brought some joy to the student body. But do you get a chance to enjoy it, or does it very quickly turn into recruiting time? And then, you know, what, what happens next? Yeah, there, there's not much time to enjoy it, usually about a couple hours after the game. And then you're either moving on to the next opponent or now you're moving into to the recruiting and, and waiting to see who you got a game plan for in the bowl game. Um, but I, I did have – I had my family here, my dad here, uh, over the weekend for the game. And, and I did talk to him, and he kind of put in perspective for me about, you know, kind of this season and where we've come and all that. So there was a little bit of that after the game. And, yeah, very proud of, of what these these guys have done here. Yeah, you're a long way from the Hamburg Sea Devils uh, you know, playing football. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you deserve the extension. Congrats on that. And, you know, really nice season, regular season. Can't wait to see what you guys do next. I appreciate that. All right. Trent Bray, thank you. Uh, there's Trent Bray, defensive coordinator, Oregon State. Uh, really remarkable building. You know, it isn't, it isn't like Oregon State turned it around from – Two and ten to nine and three in one season, like if you know if you want to really study how a program can make steady progress, look at Oregon State over the last four seasons. Jonathan Smith is getting a ton of credit nationally, I think, and deservedly so, for being the head coach who has engineered this turnaround. He has taken a program that, you know, Gary Anderson quit. He left. He took off. He said, you can't win here. In fact, I don't think you can win here so badly that I'm going to give back $17 million. I'm out of here. I don't want to coach for another day. He left, and 2-10 and ten happened in Jonathan Smith's first season. I remember him coming on the show. He was just talking about, we want to be competitive. We want to get in games. Now what are they doing? They're winning nine games. And, and frankly, look, apologies to Ben Gulbrinson, Chance Nolan, who, you know, tried but if Oregon State had a quarterback, I kind of think Oregon State would have been 11-1. and one. Like, they don't lose to USC if they've got a quarterback who doesn't throw four picks, who can make a couple plays. They don't, they don't go and lose at Washington uh, the way the defense played, 24-21. They don't lose that game with a quarterback. Uh, really limited. I think Tyson Alger, the I-5 corridor, wrote it best. He said at Oregon State the quarterback was a garnish on the plate. I mean, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. It was parsley. And I mean that with all due respect, but Ben Gulbertson threw for 60 yards, did not complete a pass or throw a pass in the fourth quarter. And Oregon state beat Oregon in the rivalry game. As long as Jim Mahalchek sticks around as the run game coordinator and Brian Lindgren's calling the plays and Trent Bray is calling the defense, and Jonathan Smith's the coach. Like, you have to feel really encouraged with Oregon State's ability here to sustain the success they've built. And can't wait to see what they do next. Are they a playoff team next year, two years from now? If the playoff expands, uh, you know, we're going to find out here coming up in about 10 minutes where Oregon State is in the college football playoff rankings. Where are they going to jump to? Steven, you have a sense of where Oregon State lands in the – newest you know rankings that come out all i hope is they're ahead of oregon because in the ap poll they have the same record and they're behind oregon after beating mm. them i just want to see them ahead of oregon but it seems like they'll be around 15 14 something like that 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Stay tuned. We'll update you. We'll give it to you in real time. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got the Pac-12 championship game coming up Friday. USC as the one seed, Utah as the two seed. Uh, the conference commissioner, George Klyovkov, and the football supervisor, Merton Hanks, will be conducting a video news conference on Thursday. Typically, they do it in person in Vegas. Don't know why they're not doing it in person. I'll be in Vegas for uh, the championship game to cover it. You can read me at johnconzano.com. i got a lot of things to write this week. But... Um, Guys, what do we need to be asking George Klyovkov and Merton Hanks on Thursday? Uh, I put that out on Twitter. I put it out and said, hey, what should I ask? And a lot of the, the, lot of the followers that I have, this is unscientific, but it's still interesting to me, uh, want me to ask them about officiating. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big one. There's been a lot of mistakes this season, and it's not just this season. It's in seasons past about the officiating. I think that is one of the main things – um, you know, outside of just the whole realignment stuff, you know, on the field, I do want to know about the officiating because that has been a problem. And even in that Civil War game, uh, you know, that Oregon State call on what was it, third and one? I mean, they yep. got called back. I mean, that was, I thought that was clearly a first down, got called back. Ducks end up getting a stop. Like, the, the, it seems like there's problems that shouldn't be happening on the field, and it's happening all the time. <laughs> the 4th uh, the and 13 that Bo Nix got sacked on. By uh, Rawls, fifty-two. Yep. Uh, definitely like pulled his neck, you know, as he sacked him. And I kind of liked the no call because I like that kind of football violence yep. in a way, right? But Bo Nix was like heated, hopping mad, and I didn't blame him. I I frankly thought a penalty uh, was going to be called there, and it wasn't. But it's just that that perception, you know, with the officials is out there. Is it? Can we objectify like? qualitatively or quantitatively, I guess, that Pac-12 officiating is, in fact, without a question, worse than any other Power 5 conference. I, it's anecdotal. It's going to be, in, like, I, I think, you know, the Pac-12 tries to tell me bad calls happen all the time. Like, they don't go on the record with it, but the Pac-12 officials who talk to me, and I talk to them at games, will come up to me and go, hey, you're being too hard on us. But I've had Pac-12 officials also bend my ear when I'm on the sideline before a game, I've had several referees come over and say, hey, you're being mean to us uh, in print. And I'll go, you know, well, you guys are struggling out here. And they'll go, hey, you know what's happening? And then they tell me. And they say, look, we don't have a system. The guys, the crews are all hodgepodge. It's, you know, so I think there's, I think it is a bigger problem. But the perception, the fact that there's a perception problem, Pac-12 should pay attention to that. Even if it's perception, you've got to fix that if you're George Klyovkov. You have to. We'll talk more about it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.